0: This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Acts 10, 1-15 At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial, offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Acts 10, 1-15
1: Hey, thank you. Good morning. morning. So as I said before, my name is Tyler. I'm the pastor of Worship Arts, and I have the opportunity, privilege, to do a final message in Acts before we make a shift for a while. We've been in Acts since January, and uh, we're not done, but we're going to take a break. And uh, uh, next week, we have a gal named... um, Helen Shapiro, I think I've got a picture of her and her book. It's supposed to be an outstanding book. She's going to be coming and sharing a little bit about uh, some of that book, what she has in that book. She's going to be signing books uh, and selling books out in our welcome area after the service. And then um, starting in two weeks, uh, on October 17th, we're starting a new series called Ten Markers of a Healthy Missional Church. Now you may ask yourself, where do we come up with ten markers? Well, if you're new around here, you may not be aware that we've been a church in transition. We lost, uh, our founding pastor, lead pastor, it was about, th- I want to say three years ago now? Two? I think it was three years. Somebody, somebody's gonna correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's three. Two? Two. Seems like a long time. I'm getting old. So two years ago, and in that time, we've lost three other pastors, too. And I'm glad to report that it was not because of some ugly thing that happened behind the scenes. But there's a sense that God is stirring the pot. Pastor Todd, our new lead pastor, has been here since uh, December 1st. He started. A, we did an Advent series in the Christmas time. And then in January, uh, roughly like the second Sunday or so, we, we started an Acts. And, uh, um, in this transition, we've been working with our denomination. It's the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's a, it's a collection of churches that are attempting to follow Jesus Christ in the world together. Follow Christ and follow His priorities. And as we are in transition, it was a perfect time to invite John Winrick, who leads a department called Church Vitality. And, uh, hopefully, some of us, I know some of us here attended a seminar that he put on in May. And the idea of the, of the seminar was to help us as a church to begin a process, not a program, but a process whereby we begin to evaluate what is God doing in our hearts, what is God doing in our community, and where is He leading us, and where can we, how can we get to a place of sustained Excellence or sustained healthy missional activity where we 're pers- as a body as a as a group of people we 're pursuing Christ and we 're pursuing Christ in the world. I was excited because we had a, over a hundred people at that particular one, and we identified different types of churches and where they 're vulnerable, and we talked about these ten markers of a healthy missional church it 's like ten symptoms, if you will. You know, like, you know, when a person has a fever and they're coughing, you can pretty much guess that they're sick. Well, these are markers of of the reality of us being healthy and missional as a church. That begins uh, two weeks, and I want to invite you back, uh, back for that. It's going to be a, a good series. But here, we're in this series called The Spirit of Adventure, God on the Move, Then and Now. If you were here in January... You might remember, it was either the first or second Sunday, Todd outlined the whole series very simply based in Acts eight, which says, uh, Jesus speaking to his followers says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Judea, and to the farthest reaches of the earth. And it forms kind of an outline of what God is doing. Acts is the final narrative in the Bible. It tells the story of the birth of the church as it continues. And what you see in Acts chapter 1, uh, following the instructions of Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, go, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. So that's what they did. They went to Jerusalem. And what we saw the Holy Spirit do, which is true in throughout Acts, his timing is perfect. The way that he brings things together. In a, a day and one of the feasts, when you had Jews from all over, coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast God pour out his spirit on the church and and they begin to testify to the truth of who Jesus is that Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon and thousands of people, Jews see gave their their hearts and lives so they they went from being closed up inside someplace to proclaiming the good news and so we see this explosion that begins to unfold. As we hear, as we see the story of the church. My hope, my hope and prayer is for us, either during this last six months, if you didn't, or maybe when we pick it back up again, read Acts. When you read it, you're impressed with what God is doing in the church. And, And it, it hopefully causes us to ask questions about ourselves Helps us to evaluate how we think about ourselves as the church So when john Winmerk was here uh back in may He had a couple quotes and one I was kind of familiar with the other one I thought wow, I had never thought about it this way And I want to share them with you as we talk about church As we talk about the stage that we're in, in acts as we look at acts chapter 10 this is a, a quote by a guy named Dave Bennett, Bennett, Benedict. I have no idea who he is. I don't know. The church is not an end in itself. It is a means to an end. Anytime we forget that our church has meaning only as it exists within God's, within God's intention for the church, we have become something other than the church. Does that make sense? It is God who defines what the church is. So when we adopt attitudes that aren't consistent, then we're no longer functioning as God intended. I Actually, I like this quote. It's shorter, and I like it better. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Let me explain, because I've been in ministry now for something like 20 years. And I remember there was a season which all of a sudden, uh, this whole idea of becoming missional became sort of faddish. It was like we realized suddenly as a church that you know what we're called here for a purpose as a church we need to be missional right so and to be missional we we uh we have like Thursday night study on how to be missional and we set aside time in our in our summer to go and be missional and so, and what this quote is pointing out is the very nature of God Father son and holy spirit is missional that God is extending His love and His grace, the opportunity for relationship—it's the very nature of who He is. In Genesis chapter twelve, when when God comes to Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation, and through you, I'm going to bless every nation on earth. We get a sign of, of God's desire to reach out to be inclusive. So the church is the latest. We are, as, as the New Testament talks about it, we are the body of Christ. And when Christ was here in the body, what did he do? In the, later on in the text that we read, Peter describes the kind of ministry. Jesus went around, he, he went around and healed people. He, he ministered to the poor. And he preached the good news about the kingdom. That's what Jesus did in the body. Now we collectively together are the body. That's who the church is. The the next continuation of the mission of God to reveal His love and His grace to the world. So the church arises out of this innate mission. When we gather here this morning, there's a sense in which we're expressing the very missional nature of who God is. As called out ones who who are called... To declare his goodness. To declare together, as uh, one of the writers in the New Testament says, you are a holy people, a people belonging to God, a holy nation. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, it's really important when we think about who we are, that we have a sense of those overarching truths that we're called together, that God began something in Acts. Let me ask you a question. Are we a part of the same church as what's described in Acts? Let me ask the question a little different way. As we read this, We could just imagine that it's just a historical document that just gives us a record of something that happened. Or we could read Acts as kind of a collection of fables, whatever, that are meant to make us feel good, to give us sort of guidance, a a, a sort of a whatever. Or is Acts a picture of what it means to be the body of Christ? following the lord of the universe so we enter the struggle where we ask these questions why not why not here as we read this why not here why not now why not us i just throw that out why not why not here See, these are good questions to grapple with as we read that, as we see how God is working. Why not here? Why not now? Why not us? A, a few cautions as I, as I throw those questions out there. One is, uh, I'm aware that we are all so busy, right? There's things that are demanding our time. They're demanding our resources. It's all the time. It just feels like one more thing. You know, have you, have you ever pull, you pull your, you know, smartphone out to, to make a point with somebody? Hey, we got to get together for coffee. When do you, no, that time won't work because I've got to be You know, what could kind of this week? Let's go. Ah, that won't work either. Right? It just feels like our lives. We've, we've sandwiched everything in. I can't even remember who I was talking this week. They talked about, uh, they heard a, a phrase called camel time. There was a time when it took a while to get from one place to the other. In our story today, I mean, Peter, uh, in, in, in the previous chapter, he's got to go and he raises somebody from the dead, but he's got to walk 10 miles before he can do it. Time to be in his thoughts, time to, to relate to the people he's traveling with. And we can't find, you know, a half hour to spend with somebody we want. So the danger is when we hear something, when we begin to hear a challenge from God, why not here, why not now? It's not about doing more. It's not about adding something else on, another meeting. It's about gaining a new perspective. The whole, the whole pr- uh, process of transformation means that my mind is, doesn't just make a decision, but it's transformed. I see things differently. When we pray or we sing, open the eyes of my heart to see you high and lifted up. Because when my heart's transformed and I can see that Jesus is really Lord and Master of the universe, I define my reality differently. I make decisions differently. I start spending my time differently. I'm not just simply adding more to-do lists. So when I throw this out for us today, why not here? Why not now? Why not us? I'm not inviting us to add just start adding things in. I'm inviting us to struggle with those questions. I want to invite us to say, God, what it is about my life? What is it I'm not seeing? Where is my value need to be adjusted? Help me see my existence and how I operate at work, how I operate in my home differently so that then my my decisions how i spend my time how i how i interact with my people i know in my church but how i act and interact with my neighbors begins to be transformed i'm not suggesting there's not decisions to be made i want to caution us again against that gut reaction like oh no i got to add more to my busy schedule our schedules are probably already too busy maybe we need a transformation Maybe we need to see things differently. The second caution I would say when we start asking questions like this is to not develop a critical spirit. You know? If the worship pastor would just get an earring and a tattoo, we would be hip and we'd probably start growing as a church. I, you know? In other words, just start looking out there and nitpick about if this wasn't right, if that wasn't right. As you read through Acts, there was things that weren't right. You think we have pressure? They had to worry about getting thrown in jail and getting beaten up. You think we have conflict? There's huge conflict that they have to work through in Acts. So it's not just that things went smoothly. Things didn't go smoothly. And so it's not productive to begin to be critical. But we want God's Spirit to stir us and say, Why not here? What do we need to do collectively? Where are the places in our life we need to to change our hearts and change our minds? Pursue relationships that we haven't been pursuing. I do this in part because as we read Acts 1-8 and you see kind of that outline that's spreading out, it still continues to be an act of God that is making these things happen. As we see a new avenue begin to open up today in Acts... As you see, God working in some ways that His closest followers did not expect. They had to be willing to. To have their hearts changed. They had to be humble. They had to struggle. They had to wonder. If you read this this whole text. Now, as we as we get into this story, I really only have two major points I want to make. One right out of the text. Welcome to the party, or the Holy Spirit is already at work. And I already made reference to this. But what's really neat about this story is the first person who's really working is is God. He's doing something. He did something at the day of Pentecost. He did something when a persecution broke out on the church. If you were here some weeks back, and Pastor Todd spoke about Stephen and his testimony and the persecution broke out, but The church was scattered and as they went they shared They scattered into judea And the church began to spread Well, god is acting again. It's it's like a new chapter here And uh, when we show up when we begin to look at god, what are you doing? and and i'm glad Uh, being a part of this church because I I, and being on staff I get to hear some of the stories when this is already happening where this is happening but I want to invite us all to enter in see when we when we start to enter in and say God what are you doing and let me be a part of it what we find in the process is that God is already at work in our story here the Holy Spirit sends a messenger to Cornelius and says go and send for Peter when Peter's praying this is another day or two later Peter's praying and, and he falls into a trance and he has this vision and guess what God's already been at work so it's right when he's done with that already they're there and so he invites them in for the night he invites them in as guests the next day they set out with a, along with a group from, from Joppa They sit out and they they meet up with with Cornelius and uh, Peter, they have a little exchange there and he he goes in and, and Cornelius is expecting him. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. So when Peter goes in, what? There's a whole crowd that's already gathered waiting to hear what God has to say. And as Peter begins to share about Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit is poured out and it's like, a, it's like a second Pentecost. Except this time it's not with Jews. It's with these Gentile believers, those people who haven't been circumcised, people who eat bacon, you know, things like that. And so Peter says, wow, well, what, what, I guess we should baptize these guys. The text says the people with him, they were astonished. So Peter, Peter spends a few days with them, and then as we work into the next chapter, he as he heads back and, and rumor gets back to some of the circumcision group, and they want an explanation of what's going on. The party's already started, and the invitation for us is to not see that God has... Like somehow sitting back and waiting for us to do something. But to enter in and ask God, where are you at work? Where can I be a part of God? He calls us to to be with Him in mission. Not just to go and do mission, but to be with Him in what He's already about. I mentioned the Second Pentecost. You know, we celebrate Pentecost. I forget how many. I should know this as a worship pastor, but so many weeks after Easter, we, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. It was a it was a huge event, and I mentioned it already. God's Spirit shows up. Uh, people start taking it, talking in tongues, and people are hearing the gospel in language in their own language from people who didn't know how to speak their language. Powerful things happen. Here's the thing, though. Pentecost is the beginning of an age, not just an event. We still are in that age. We still can be led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still wants to impact our community in deeper ways. We still get to go out and find that God has been at work in people's hearts, preparing them to hear the good news. That Jesus is the savior of the world. It's not a message that is exclusive. See, this is this is how we get portrayed in our culture. I mean, Christianity is sort of like it's for some people, or it's 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 a religious system that has a social, um, political agenda. It's an exclusive club, only for certain people. The reality is Christianity is very inclusive. When you read Peter's message, he says, Jesus came to save everyone. To forgive anyone. It's a message of inclusivity of what God is doing. Not exclusivity of what we are doing. So, Peter... uh, says he he went up on the roof and they were preparing a meal because he was hungry and he had a vision about food I want to say this is a point of identification with me and Peter Oftentimes when I'm hungry I have visions of food you know what I'm saying actually it was a trance different a little different and uh, one commentary I read pointed out I thought this was really interesting when I asked the question why not us why not now One of the things the commentary pointed out I thought was really interesting uh was had to do with prayer. Peter's praying at the non prescribed time for a Jew to pray. In other words, I take from this that it was a part of who he was. He didn't just pray because it was a religious duty to do at certain times of the day, which Jewish people there were certain times that it was prescribed to pray. But it's in the afternoon and, and Peter he's just up there praying. And uh, what a commentary pointed out, there's several times in the, in the New Testament when God intervenes, when God speaks, when God reveals Himself. It's in the context of people praying. And so I think, what, wow, what does that say to me? About if I want to see God move, I need to be a person who, who prayer is just what I do. That I'm expressing my heart, that I'm inviting God into my, into my life. The Luke 3.21 passage, that's actually one I made uh, mention of that passage last time I spoke. It's Jesus' baptism. You you don't really necessarily notice it, but what it says is that when Jesus came out of the the water, he was praying. Jesus is engaged in praying, and then then he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. In uh, Luke six. 12 through 16, that's where Jesus spent all night praying before he went out and and explained or appointed who his apostles would be. He'd, he'd got direction from his father. He'd engaged in prayer all night long. I'm not going to remember what some of those others are, but it's a similar kind of thing. I think one of those is uh, the Lord's Prayer, where, you know, when the disciples they follow Jesus around and there's only one place that I am aware of where they ask Jesus could you teach us what you just did it's when Jesus is praying praying privately and he said would you teach us how to pray and that's where we get our Lord's the Lord's prayer pattern for prayer so Peter's praying and he gets this vision which takes me to really my second point and really it's it's the main point of this whole passage Stop looking at the star on your belly. Did you get that from the passage? I did. Stop looking at the star or begin to see others as God does. And this is a reference, of course, to Dr. Seuss. If you're not familiar with the story, the Sneeches are always distinguishing themselves from somebody else by whether or not they have a star on their belly or not. And this guy comes in and makes a killing Off to putting stars on and taking stars off as they're trying to figure out how they can be a little bit better than all the other stitches with either, you know, star on their belly or star off their belly. Really, this passage is really interesting because we see four times the description of Cornelius' vision that he has. As a clear indication to Luke's audience, listen, God is acting. God is doing something. Couple times Peter says, Hey, look, you know, he explains his actions, both, both to the people he's ministering to and later to the Jews. He says, You know, this is God. God's doing this. I mean, who am I to, who am I to interrupt? It's hard for us to grasp the, the, the tension in the story here if you're not a Jew. And, and Peter's vision is a really good picture of it for just a little bit. He sees, he sees, uh, this, Sheep being lowered down in a trance. And, it, and it's got all kinds of animal parts on it, including a lot of animals that were considered ceremonially unclean. And so, Peter's revol- revulsion? Anyway, he, he doesn't want to eat it, not just because it's gross. Like like if you went to somebody's house and they served cat, you probably would be like, ugh, right? It's not that. It's his, it was his whole identity as a Jew. And what he thought God had called him to be and to do, and to not engage in something that was unclean, impure. I mean, his his reaction was just, "Oh, surely not! I'm not going to do that." We read it was read one time for us. It happens three times in a row. When God came to Abraham in Genesis 12, I mentioned it earlier. He says. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And through you, I'm going to draw all people to myself. I'm going to bless every nation on earth. And one of the ways that God did that is he called Israel out separate to be his people. For them to live differently, to be set apart from all other nations, to demonstrate that he was a God of justice, a God of holiness, a God of love. And so the Jewish nation became a vehicle through which God revealed himself to all people on the earth. And somewhere along the line, because this is human nature, I've noticed it, we always are looking for some way like the the Sneeches, We're a little different. We're a little better. We're a little something. But somewhere along the way, as a good Jewish person, it was easy to look down to separate yourself because somehow you thought you were special and that somebody else not being pure or clean we just got to pull away not as an expression we need to lift up God our father but as an expression that somehow I'm better than you so Peter has this vision and in the next moment after he gets done and he's wondering about that, he's struggling, like you and I might, with trying to understand what is God saying, what is God doing, and all of a sudden there's people at the door asking for Peter. So Peter goes down, it's a couple of attendants of, of uh, Cornelius, as well as one of his soldiers, Gentiles. See, Peter's beginning to get the message though, because he invites the man in as guests. That's something as a Jew you did not do. You did not share your table with somebody who was a Gentile. And so he he shares with them. And then uh, he makes a couple of statements in this. I want to make sure I, I get these out. In verse 28, and this is in chapter 10, so a little farther down. And this is when he meets up with Cornelius. He says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That is such a huge shift for Peter to say that. He's basically saying, I need to not make any more distinctions. So you see Peter, he's stepping a little bit further as he's trying to struggle. What does God mean by By this vision that he gave me And he now he's directed me directly to go with them So first he invites these people Who are common or unclean Into his home And then he goes and travels The next day he takes some of his Jewish brothers with him And they go now into the home Of Cornelius He's a Roman soldier Italian regiment they they uh they lord everything over the Jewish people. He's, a, in a sense, their captor. He's a Gentile. Just as another illustration, a couple other illustrations of the Jewish mindset. There's a story in one of the Gospels, and it, 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 it strikes me as amazing, but Jesus' disciples have a little run-in with some Samaritans. Now, Samaritans are not even full Gentiles. They're they're a mixed breed, Jewish-Gentile mixed breed. They had a little bit of a run-in, a little bit of scuff. It doesn't seem like any big deal. But James and John, their response is, Hey, should we ask God to pour down fire from heaven and consume them? I mean, they're they're serious. A little later in the next chapter, you, you find out that when the Jews were scattered and after... Uh, Stephen stoning, and the Jews are scattered. It says that some of the Jews only talked to other Jews. See, in their mindset, they hadn't seen that Jesus' message was one of forgiveness for everyone, regardless of ritual purity, regardless of whether you were Jewish, either by birth or by practice. And so they assumed that Jesus, the Messiah, he's the, Jews, he's the He's the Jewish Messiah. So they go out and they only preach to Jews. So Peter is just like, Ugh. and when he begins to preach and the Holy Spirit is poured out, it says that those who went with him of the circum. I mean, these are Jewish brothers, they're astonished. See, it, it, to them, it blew their mind that God could do that. When Peter comes in, he addresses the crowd. This is beautiful. Peter is set up in this whole passage at the end of the chapter before. And he's traveling around, and one of the things he does, just like what Jesus did one time, he raises this woman from the dead. He goes in and raises her from the dead. Peter was the leader of the church. Maybe the leader. The leader among equals. And tremendous respect where he went and when he came into this Gentile gathering you know what he said essentially I'm sorry very humble I'm sorry God has shown me that I've been wrong God has shown me that he doesn't play favorites that my attitude of my heart toward you was wrong that's essentially what he says so God has told me to come to you. He's shown me that He He doesn't play favorites, that I was wrong about that, sincerely wrong. Peter, very sincere. And he preaches the gospel, and God does something miraculous. So my question is when we ask, what about us? What about here? What about now? If we're serious, could things change around here? I don't know about you, but as I look around Eagle River, I see that things are changing. Are we open to who God may bring? Are we open to how God might want to change our attitudes just in subtle ways? I doubt there's, I I would guess there's probably no flaming races here, right? Like... Like if a certain gender, or excuse me, hopefully not a certain gender, but a certain uh, ethnic person from a certain ethnic group walked in and he'd be like, I'm done, I'm out of here, right? There's nobody like that. But in a sense, when Peter's saying God shows no favoritism, he's pointing out that all of us, on some kind of continuum, we show favoritism. We have certain people that we gravitate to And certain people that we harbor prejudices. We harbor attitudes. Not knowing them as individuals at all. Not knowing who they are, not knowing their background, not knowing their story. A little earlier this week, I go to a place in town where I'm actually quite a bit of an introvert. And so sometimes when I leave here, I go someplace where I can just be alone in my thoughts and read a little bit. And uh, I, I was reading, and this guy—it uh, was over at Cars, right? So I'm in the Cars Commons area. This guy got my attention by running into my chair with his cart, and my reaction is, "What?" I mean, I just know what I said to him, right? I'm like, "What are you doing?" And. I have to be honest. I mean I think it's okay to have boundaries in certain times when you need to say, you know what, I need my time alone but if I'm honest, I had this these attitudes like I don't you know, I don't I don't really want to connect with this guy. He was saying things like, uh so when do you come down here? I'm like, Not when you're down here. <laughs> I mean my It wasn't necessarily the right time or the place to connect with that guy, but it was a great opportunity for me to say, wow, God, there's something, there's some attitudes in my heart that are just not right. And is every person I meet an image bearer of God and a person whom God loves, a person whom God wants to reach out to? And how do I want my life oriented? Do I believe that God wants to move in our community? that here, that now, through us, that we could see God's power at work. For Peter, he had to choose to follow God. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close. I want to share one little final tidbit about this story that I should have shared earlier. You know where Peter was, right? Joppa? Joppa? So the last time we had Joppa, we heard that name of that place in the Bible, is in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, God tells Jonah to go and share or preach to Nineveh, a city of Gentiles, a city of people who are on the outside, an outcast, people who does not want to receive grace of God. I just wonder in our story... If Peter, that clicked with him. He's in a place of decision. As there's something about him that says, I don't know about this. And he yields to that and at some point he says, who am I to oppose God? He says later, who am I to oppose God? Let's not oppose what God wants to do in our community. Let's invite him, him into our hearts. Let's, let's allow ourselves into that struggle to ask those questions stand as we close.